Hello and welcome to edition number 1908 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 7th of April. I'm Nigel James and I've edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls is Gavin Smalley. This week we have items from the Whitney Gazette and from the Hanborough Herald. Our four readers are Barbara Johnson, Peter B., Theresa Hayes and John Ashwell. So let's have our first story, which is about the centre of Whitney, which will be read to us by Barbara. ...to transform town centre's future. Whitney is expected to receive £2 million towards transforming the town centre through government funding for a scheme to encourage cycling and walking. The town is set to lose... Sorry. I beg your pardon. The town is set to be one of the beneficiaries in the third round of active travel grants to help transport infrastructure recover from the pandemic and offer quality of life benefits for active, healthy communities. The scheme could involve greater use of automatic number plate recognition technology and new 20 miles per hour zones. The news follows criticism from Whitney MP Robert Courts about a county council decision to close High Street and Market Square to traffic, leaving the area in chaos. Yes. When the grant bid was made in August of 2021, Tim Bearder, Cabinet Member for Highways Management, said our council has deliberately put forward an incredibly bold bid for active travel schemes for the county that aim to transform lives and our local environment. The scale of the bid means these schemes should benefit the county for the long term. They will allow further upgrades to our county cycling infrastructure and allow us to produce desperately needed holistic plans that will make safe cycling and walking an option for many more residents. We know that government recognises the need to shift our dependence away from single occupancy motor vehicles and I sincerely hope that they are willing to match our ambition so that we can help them realise that change on the ground here in Oxfordshire. The next step would involve planning and consulting with Whitney residents about how changes are implemented. It is also working with Whitney Town Council to implement more 20 mile per hour zones. A county council spokesman declined to comment until the authority officially heard if it had been successful in its bid. In December, Mr. Bearder banned most motor vehicles from the high street and marketplace in a bid to make the area safer and more pleasant. However, the decision has proved controversial and unpopular. Some traders report a catastrophic drop in trade. Mr. Courts, the MP, was among critics who said the apparent lack of planning by the county before and after the closure was potentially harming the town. He said traders and townspeople felt they had been ignored 
with 50% of respondents surveyed opposing the closure and a further 10% expressing concerns. In a letter to Mr Bearder, co-signed by Whitney South Councillors Mark Johnson and David Harvey, he wrote that residents were profoundly concerned, I beg your pardon, profoundly concerned at the chaotic way the court implemented the closure. And he said misery for drivers was made worse by the introduction of a new cycle lane on Corn Street. Mr. Quartz ended his letter. Sadly, the county council's cavalier attitude and lack of a clear plan either to support traders or for a future plan for the high street appears to be endangering the long-term future of Whitney's Centre. Rather than continuing with its dismissive and single-minded approach, we call on the county council to engage with local residents and traders and ensure Whitney is adequately consulted on a matter which is having a fundamental impact on our town. He described it as a welcome news that the government is expected to provide the county with funding for work on Whitney's High Street. But, he said, the awarding of this money does, however, bring into stark focus how the county council have irresponsibly caused months of unnecessary chaos for local residents and harm to traders. I hope that the county council will now urgently start listening to local residents and traders so we can all have our say on how this central government funding is spent and develop a clear plan for the long-term success of Whitney's Centre. And our second story this evening is about land and commercial development in Ducklington and will be read by Peter. And the headline reads, Land to be for commercial development, not housing. Councillors voted to keep land for commercial development rather than adding extra housing to proposed development. Crest Nicholson wants to add 78 more houses to the 287 already there that have been built at Colwell Green, a site that used to be home for the now defunct Whitney Town Football Club. And these two industrial units locking that are backing on to it. Permission for the initial development, granted in 2017, included an employment area, which was set to include a hotel and office space. Anyone applying for an alternative use would have to show that commercial development was not viable. Nicholson Darnwells, a director of Crest Nicholson, said that there had been comprehensive marketing for three and a half years without concrete interest in commercial and commercial use being established. We don't agree that the site has a strong level of interest, he said. There have been 31 inquiries <coughs> with no follow-up material that were, uh, or interest that was expressed other than uh, that had been received for the consented office and hotel use. Actual offers received relate to a caravan park operator and Chris Hayter transport, 
The latter is proposing storage <coughs> and distribution use contrary to Condition 6 of the 2017 permission. The council officer, Phil Shaw, who contested and countered that by saying the site was approved for employment purposes. There is an operator of an of an adjoining site which is prepared to use it for the purpose of commercial development and your own uh, and your own business development officer is saying there is a strong demand for employment use in this part of Whitney clearly this site is worth more as a housing site and that might explain why it's not being sold for the commercial consented purposes the applicants have sought to advance the argument it should come forward for housing, but it is not considered that the case has been proven to set aside your policy. We believe there is a policy that's based objective. Uh, obje the, I beg your pardon. The, we believe that there is a policy based objection on principle. Councillors. Councillors resoundingly signed uh, and agreed that uh, Councillor Duncan and, and Councillor Duncan Enright, who represents Whitney East, said, I think a lot of sense has been talked about our policy. The overriding wish is to have w Whitney remain a viable town, not a dormitory, and just a place for people to live and to be exported to work elsewhere. In the context of our local plan, it's really important. Ducklington councillor Ben Woodruff had proposed to delay the decision and for the committee to conduct a site visit. I appreciate what was agreed at the time, but maybe things have changed, he said. Having seen the site firsthand with the housing there, you appreciate how unattractive a commercial warehouse or lorry park would be so close to a housing development. That proposal was voted down, with all bar two councillors then voting through the recommended refusal. And our third story this evening uh, is about farm glamping and will be read by Teresa. Yes, and the headline is Farm Glamping Wagons Bid Refused Permission. A farm has been denied permission to wheel in three glamping wagons after district councillors supported South Lee Parish Council in sticking to its neighbourhood plan. West Oxfordshire District Council planning officers re recommended approval, but councillors on the Lowlands Area Planning Subcommittee placed more weight on the neighbourhood plan cited in South Lee Parish Council's objections. The parish argued that the plans would lead to a loss of character of a rural area and visual value, cause light pollution and noise, as well as risking an increase in traffic on rural roads. Its submission, sub, sorry, its submission added, the parish council is concerned with the precedent that will be set for other applications. It would be difficult to say no to other sites if yes is said to this site. Later in the submission, it said that support may be given if the wagons were placed on land closer to existing barns. Jeff Hayne, representing Milton under Witchwood, said going against the neighbourhood plan would be a clear rejection of democratic will. 
He went on, It is quite true that South Lee Parish Council spent a lot of time in getting the neighbourhood plan approved. It went through the planning inspectorate for approval and then came back to the full council here for approval. And I think it is not appropriate for one planning officer and a subcommittee to say, we're going to ignore it. That does not make sense to me. It has been accepted, and in my opinion, the policy applies, and this application should be rejected accordingly. It is quite some way distant from the bulk of the farmyard where the barns are, and it is in a greenfield site, which, in my opinion, is not suitable. Planning officer David Ditchett said, When we are assessing schemes against the development plan, we have to look at it as a whole. He said there would also be restrictions on external lighting through planning conditions, but support was strong for rejection. Ensham and Cassington councillor Carl Rylett said, Southley spent a lot of time and energy putting together a local plan, and once we put together and agree on policy, we should think very seriously about disregarding that. There was a community event in Ensham on Saturday where we are beginning a review of the neighbourhood plan, potentially making some changes. I think it would, be, it would send the wrong message to say there is a policy in the neighbouring parish that is going to be overruled. The fourth story is about a police manager who had an inappropriate relationship with a convicted criminal. And this is going to be in two parts, the first one read by John and the second part read by Barbara. Yes, it's headed up. Police manager jailed over a relationship with rapist. A police offender manager who cheated on her partner to start an intimate relationship with a convicted rapist has been jailed. Rachel Beale from Kencott, Oxfordshire, was meant to be managing sex offender Mark Few when she started the illicit relationship and abused her position to benefit her lover. She invited Few to her house to smoke cannabis and drink alcohol with her then-partner Jason Elliott, who on one occasion caught her cuddling Few in the bed of their guest room. She also booked hotel rooms. During that time, only police staff with a law enforcement purpose were able to do that. The court heard that during her time in Wiltshire Police's management of sexual or violent offenders, unit, Beale had been placed in a position of trust with an enormous amount of responsibility. Those who abuse that trust and responsibility must understand that it is inevitable a custodial sentence is the consequence if they act in the way you did, Judge Peter Blair QC said in sentencing at Bristol Crown Court. It has an important matter of public deterrence for sentences to clearly flag the behaviour of the sort you fell in with and you'll be punished and you will be sorry, punished severely. He jailed Bill, now fifty three, for six months, reduced from nine months for her early guilty plea. But there was drama after few watching her partner's case from the public gallery marched to the desk. Uh, after Beale was jailed. Few earlier, reprimanded by Judge Blair for interrupting his sentencing remarks, struck his middle finger up at the judge and ignored a security guard who asked him to move away from his partner. Don't touch me, he told the guard, before he hugged a a teary Beale and stormed out of court. 
The court had earlier heard how Beale of Kencott, Oxfordshire, previously pleaded guilty to misconduct in a public place relating to a seven-month period between February and September 2020. Prosecutor James Haskell had said that Few, initially jailed for rape in November 2003, was released in February 2020 with various licence conditions and Beale was named his offender manager. He was living at a hotel for offenders in May of that year when the relationship came to the police's attention. Another resident, Anthony Mead, had been reporting a separate incident when he asked the call handler what he should do if an offender manager had been having sex with a bloke under her care. Other residents and staff also became suspicious. The defendant said that him staying away was connected to his drug rehabilitation, which was not true, Mr Haskell said. He went on to say that Bill misused the police database several times to search for the names of the fellow residents of the hotel. She claimed that that was to stay on top of who they were Sorry, that she claimed that was to stay on top of who they were, but no record was found of her doing the same searches of other offenders that she was managing. The Independent Office for Police Conduct later took over the investigation and found over 500 messages between Few and Beale on her private phone, some of which were clearly sexual in, in nature. In mitigation, Martha Smith Higgins told the court that she accepts and has always accepted that she did enter into an intimate relationship with a person she should not have been with at the time. She left an abusive relationship in May of 2020. It was from that point that the relationship with Mr. Few developed. As a result of that decision, she has lost everything. She remains in a relationship with Mr. Few, but accepts, looking back, she should have handled it very differently. But she highlighted that the defendant is a carer for her elderly mother who has cancer, adding, I ask your lordship to consider the suspension of her sentence. We are dealing with a woman now aged 53 who up until now has been a lady of clean character. In sentencing, Judge Blair highlighted some of the effects of the case on the defendant. This offending has led to your fall from grace. You resigned from your employment with Wiltshire Police felt the need to move out of the area due to the adverse publicity you suffered. He said that appropriate punishment can only be properly achieved by an immediate custodial sentence. Beale is likely to serve half of her six-month sentence. Following the hearing, Deputy Chief Constable Paul Mills of Wiltshire Police said, it goes without saying 
that we expect the highest levels of conduct from all our officers, staff and volunteers, something which is even more important when an employee is directly involved in supervising offenders within our community. Rachel Beale betrayed the trust of the public and betrayed the trust of her colleagues when she blatantly abused her position to commit this crime. The outcome of this investigation and the sentence shows that there is no place in policing for someone who behaves in this way. Boy of 16 sentenced on drug dealing charge. A boy has been sentenced for drugs dealing in Whitney. The 16-year-old boy, uh, uh, cannot be named because of his age, pleaded guilty to two counts of possession with intent to supply a constricted and controlled Class B drug, in, uh, namely cannabis and ketamine. The, he was sentenced in a nine-month... Uh, I must try and read that again. He was sentenced to a nine-month youth referrals order and he was sentenced for failure and uh, dereliction uh, and, and destruction of drugs and costs and surcharge of £107 at Oxford Magistrates Court on March the 30th. The sentencing relates to an incident on March the 7th of last year where the boy made off from a marked police car. When tracked down by officers, the boy was found with a quantity of cash and burned phone and was arrested. A section 18.5 search of the boy's address was conducted and officers found cannabis, wraps of ketamine, scales, deal bags, plastic wraps, a quantity of cash and mobile phones in his bedroom. Investigating officer PC Sarah Finch, based at Whitney Police Station, said, this is the result of hard work and we will continue to work hard to bring offenders to justice as Thames Valley Police will not tolerate drug dealing. We continue to need uh, the support of the public in this and we would ask them to report any information that they have about drug dealing. This can be shared with Thames Valley Police on our website or by calling 101. Uh, and the next item is about a very important survey from the policing boss which is seeking the crime victims' views. It has now closed but it's still very newsworthy. Oxfordshire's Police and Crime Commission, Matthew Barber, launched the anonymous online survey at the start of this month to seek views on the current support for victims of crime. The survey will help inform the Thames Valley Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner on possible options for the future commissioning of services. The survey, which closed on April, the 6th, April 6th, aims to capture the views and experiences of victims of crime and abuse in the Thames Valley and professionals who are either directly supporting victims or referring them into victim services. It covered areas such as feedback on current provision, including the PCC's Victims First Service, access and potential barriers to support, and gaps in services. Mr Barber said, We want to continue to provide services which best meet victims' needs, 
so it's vital that we include their voice and involve service, u- sorry, service users in our decision-making. The aim, since my office began commissioning victim services in 2014, is to give victims access to the best possible support to help them cope and recover from the impact of their experience. This survey is a chance for victims and professionals to have their voices heard to help inform service development going forward. The survey was seeking a wide range of views to help address the differing needs of Thames Valley's diverse communities. Victims were encouraged to complete the survey, regardless of whether or not they have chosen to access support in the past, reported the crime to the police or gone through the criminal justice system. And views were sought from professionals working with people impacted by crime or who refer people into victim services. A little piece entitled Villagers Isolated After Bus Route Into Town is Axed. There is a glimmer of hope for a new bus service linking Carterton and villages in West and Southern Oxfordshire to Swindon, if the government funds it. The 64 service used to go 16 miles up the A361 from Swindon to Highworth to Letchlade and Carterton, but was pulled in 2016, when many subsidised bus services were slashed by Oxfordshire County Council to save £3.7 million. Now, people in Philkins and Broughton Pogs say they feel isolated and cut off as, it's, as it's, uh, it takes more than an hour of connecting buses to reach the same destination. Lee Bennett said, The older residents of the community want to get to the banks and shopping and leisure, especially for those who don't own computers, smartphones or don't want to rely on family members. He carried out a survey which found more than 80% would use the route and younger villagers wanted links to college in Swindon and part-time jobs. Now the County Council has put a route between Carterton, Latchlade and Swindon in its bus service improvement plan. However, it, is, it does not know if the government will fund it. A spokesperson said, should the government not choose this as a particular scheme to fund, then the council currently has no alternative money available to restore this service in the near future. As we've no edition of the Whitney Talking News next week, which is the week before Easter, we're very fortunate to have an Easter reflection from the Reverend Richard Donoghue, and, uh, who's a good, a good friend to Whitney Talking News, and I'm sure you will appreciate it. Hello, it's really good to be able to talk with you once again. There was a time over the past few months when I thought that I would never again be able to share another reflection with you. Not long before last Christmas, my health underwent a sudden, unexpected and dramatic change that not only made me very unwell, but which had consequences that stopped me from being able to do even some of the very simple things that we do every day and take completely for granted. I changed into an essentially non-functioning person. Gradually, I began to recover, even to the point where three weeks ago I was fit enough to undergo some eye surgery to repair a hole in the macula of my right eye. All of these changes have made me re-evaluate the things that I do in my life, 
and take some decisions about whether I'm going to go back to doing them or decide that the time has come to stop and either do something different or just have more time for myself. Not all of this process has been easy for me. Change is often difficult for us to manage and accept, and I'm no exception to that rule. I have had the privilege of leading worship in the Methodist Church since I was a young teenager and beginning my training to become a lay preacher. Some 60 years later, to suddenly stop was a huge change in my life. Strangely, I am still considering if I should start again. You might think that after so many years it might be an easy decision, but much to my surprise, it is not quite as simple a decision as I thought it would be. Stuff happens in our lives that brings dramatic changes, and it may be that at the end we are not the same people that we were before. Change has changed us. We're not far away from celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and I wonder if she could have possibly known how the death of her father in February 1952 would change her life, or what changed the death of her husband last year, or the decline in her mobility would bring. Even closer than that celebration is our celebration of Easter in just over a week. The first Easter day was a moment that would bring change for the world. That is not a question about what your beliefs are about Jesus and the resurrection that Christians will celebrate with joy around the world. But that event changed the world forever. Nothing would ever be the same again. Even for those who are not people of faith or those of different faith. I suppose that it would only be fair to tell you that I have not yet come to a decision about whether I should continue doing these reflections. The crunch will come when I receive the email asking for dates for the next rotor. And here's a piece of stop press. The email came this afternoon after I'd written this and printed it off. So I've got to make a decision. Not sure yet. The real lesson for me has been in accepting change in my life and using those changes as a gift so that I still strive to use my life in the best way that I can. Now, those of you who have listened to me over the years will know that I try to finish with a joke or two and today is no different. So that's not changed. I apologise now, though, for the quality of the jokes. Why is it forbidden to tell jokes to your Easter egg? Because it'll crack up. I did warn you. What did one Easter egg say to another? Heard any good yolks today? This last one is not really a joke, but just an interesting thought. I love Jesus, he's born, and I get presents. He dies, and I get chocolate. Have a blessed and contented Easter. 
just two short articles. Uh, bus drivers don blue and yellow in Ukraine push. Oxford bus, bus Company is encouraging staff to wear blue and yellow to help raise funds for the Ukraine. Drivers and other staff are invited to wear yellow and blue garments to work this weekend to help with the humanitarian effort. Colleagues can donate £2 and all funds raised will be matched by the bus company's parent company, Go Ahead Group. Phil Southall, the Oxford Bus Company and Thames Travel Managing Director, said the workers felt it was a good way to peacefully show support and humanity. He added, We understand the best way to provide tangible relief aid is via the Disasters Emergency Committee. Health Director says sick best at home amid COVID case rise. Cases of coronavirus have risen sharply, warns the Public Health Director. Oxfordshire's Director of Public Health says people should remain at home if unwell amid a rise in COVID cases. As the number of people testing positive for coronavirus double what they were prior to restrictions lifting last month, Ansel Azar said people in the county feeling unwell should reduce contacts. However, from tomorrow, the government will no longer advise people who test positive to stay at home. Meanwhile, free testing for the general public also ends tomorrow as part of the government's Living with COVID plan, which last month set out the strategy to live with and manage the virus. Mr. Azar, Corporate Director of Public Health and Wellbeing at Oxfordshire County Council, said as society has continued to get back to normal, COVID cases have risen throughout the country and Oxfordshire has followed that trend. It has largely been due to the BA.2 variant, a version of Omicron that's more transmissible but isn't leading to worst outcomes and the rise in cases does now appear to be slowing. If you're unwell, please stay home. If you can reduce contacts and there are still many simple things you can do to reduce your chance of becoming unwell, end and of passing on to others. These include ventilation of rooms, washing hands and wearing masks in crowding settings. We encourage everyone eligible for a vaccine to come forward and accept that offer. And the headline of our next story reads, Running to help women like me. Collapsed under my desk, clutching my stomach, doubled over in pain, I knew something was terribly wrong. Six years later, in October 2021, I was finally diagnosed with endometriosis, a lifelong condition where tissue similar to the lining of the womb starts to grow in other places, such as the ovaries or the bladder. It's not clear what causes it, and there's no cure. But the symptoms can include severe pain in the lower tummy and back, and difficulty getting pregnant. 
Now, during Endometriosis Awareness Month, I'm learning how to live with the illness and have decided to raise money <coughs> to help other women like me. I've been running 10 kilometers every week to raise money for Endometriosis UK, a charity that helps women understand and cope with the illness in everyday life. How did it all start? GPs were quick to tell me at the age of 19 that the pain was being caused by stress or hormones. And I knew it had to be something else as the pain was causing me to miss school and later down the line, work. It was agonising and without a diagnosis, I was left to muddle through with hot water bottles and painkillers. However, after several years of blood tests, ultrasounds and somewhat invasive examinations, I was referred for keyhole surgery at the age of 23. The procedure, called the diagnostic laparoscope, is the only way to find out if a woman has endometriosis. If found, surgeons will cut or burn the tissue out. Four incisions, three hours and a dose of general anaesthetic later, I had my diagnosis. I felt relieved, but was overwhelmed with the reality of a lifelong condition with no cure. How do I cope now? Through trial and error. I'm trying to find ways to manage the pain through different painkillers, exercise and figuring out what foods trigger flare-ups, featuring bloating and pain like no other. Some days are better than others and I know that there is the likelihood of other surgery in the future. But I have a great support system in my friends, family and partner. As every one in ten women is affected by this illness, Endometriosis UK has been encouraging people to take part in a fundraising challenge incorporating the number ten. I chose to run ten kilometres every week, even though I'd much rather have been eating ten pizzas a week or watching ten movies instead. The runs, which I had split into five kilometre or two kilometre sections per day usually took place on the dreaded treadmill. But my dad did join me to support with a five kilometre run around Carterton in my second week. With only ten kilometres to go, which I'm attempting to run in one go, I've smashed my target of a hundred pounds three times over and I hope to continue raising awareness to other women who can get the diagnosis they need. Council welcomes decision to ditch National Park Plan. The government's decision to ditch plans to turn the... Go co sorry, I will start again. The government's decision to ditch plans to turn the Cotswolds area of outstanding natural beauty into a national park has been welcomed by West Oxfordshire District Council. Part of the Cotswolds AONB stretches into West Oxfordshire, north of the A40, around Woodstock and continuing to Chipping Norton. 
The Glover review into whether the protections for national parks and AONBs are still fit for purpose was published in 2019. In January, the government published its formal response and it does not include any proposals for the Cotswold AONB to become a national park, although this was initially proposed. Planning applications for properties inside national parks are assessed by national park authorities, not local councils. The move would see them placed under more stringent planning regulations to protect landscape. Jeff Hayne, District Council Cabinet Member for Planning, said, By converting the area into a national park, it would have negative impact on local communities. It would limit local decision-making and planning decisions on the future of the area. Sorry, it would limit local decision-making and planning decisions on the future of the area would be granted by an elected body. It would also have a big impact on house prices, which are already unaffordable for many local people. Care Home Deputy Manager is honoured as a local hero. The Deputy Manager of a Care Home in Whitney has been named as an Oxfordshire local hero. Rachel Skur, who works at Care UK's Miller's Grange on Kerbridge Road, won the award which is organised by Oxfordshire, uh, Oxford Tube in partnership with Stagecoach. The award aims to recognise the contri- contributions of key workers who have worked tirelessly during the pandemic. Muskur, who has been Miller, Miller's Grange's, uh, at Miller Grange for 13 months, said, I'm thrilled to have been named Oxfordshire local hero. I am proud of the team here at Miller's Grange and of how hard everybody has worked through the pandemic. They are all heroes, every single one of them. The Deputy Manager was recognised for putting the residents' needs above her own and being an advocate for a positive approach to care, a philosophy developed by a leading dementia expert which focuses on the residents' abilities rather than disabilities. She worked throughout the coronavirus pandemic to provide round-the-clock care for patients. She won a special trip to London and an afternoon tea. Alison Parry, home manager at Miller's Grange, said, I'm delighted to see Rachel's hard work has been rewarded. She thoroughly deserves to be recognised. Her energy and passion for care shines through everything she does and ultimately it means residents simply receive the best possible care, all while leading activity and fulfilled lives. Well, this evening we're very fortunate to have the Reverend Nigel Knights-Johnson, who's a retired army uh, chaplain and is attached to the Hanborough and Freeland Benefice. Thank you, Nigel. You're very welcome. Over to you. In his letter to the Romans, St Paul says, let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and to what helps each other. I heard recently of a situation where a relative is old and needing care at their own home, but the relative has gone through all the carers that the agency can offer by being rude, nasty, despising or unmanageable to them, sometimes reducing the carers to tears. The person's relatives are now at a loss about how to manage the situation. In the political situation in Ukraine, I think most of us would say that even if we understand Vladimir Putin's concern for the integrity of the Russian Federation, if he thinks war with what he sees as part of it 
is the way to strengthen it and produce peace in and love of that federation, then it's going the wrong way about it. But the older relative, who is difficult to be around, is much more personal an issue for many of us. Sadly, quite a few of us know of such people. The story about this relative made me think in two directions on a personal level. On the one hand, will I become offensive and nasty to be around when I'm older? Indeed, am I like that now to some? Do my words hurt others unnecessarily? And secondly, how come every older person isn't like that? I know many who are absolutely gorgeous to everyone and will be deeply missed by all when they pass on because being sensitive to others for its own sake is somehow basic to them. Visiting them is like finding gold dust. In St Paul's passage, he implies that the person being rude considers themselves strong and upright, morally on the high ground, because they are brought up right, and this has gone to their head. He insists that the strong shouldn't give offence to the weak because doing so is contrary to loving others. Weirdly, the frail elderly person can think that the one area left to them that is strong is the high moral ground, and they're at an age where they don't have to love others, they need to be spoilt. They've earned it. We may be physically frail, but mentally strong. Others, perhaps like the carers of this older person, may be physically strong, but emotionally more sensitive. But we all have a duty to care for the weak. Certainly, carers often put themselves in a vulnerable position by seeking to love and care for another. They open themselves up to be hurt and offended by the slights and woundingly offensive language of those they're seeking to help. The sad thing apparently about this person working their way through carers was simply that they couldn't see that they were being offensive. As one myself who has offended others far too often in my own life without having even realised it before it's too late, I have lessons to learn, I need to learn, that I myself need to think better into the feelings of others, lest I weaken my own character by being offensive to others and to God. Of course, there are some who are oversensitive and get offended by the slightest thing. I don't think, though, that that could have been true for all these carers. And there are situations where we disagree or have to force on others what they don't particularly want, like for the carer giving the one they're caring for exercise or a haircut or a wash when they don't want it to happen. There, we still need to be able to put across our views to others strongly, firmly, and politely. St. Paul's encouragement is to find words that express disagreement that do not offend unnecessarily. In some situations, we need to allow ourselves to be wronged, to lose the argument, or not get our own way if it causes peace. No, we're never to be doormats, but we do need to learn the battles worth fighting for and those not worth fighting for. Because feelings of others matters. Offending others unnecessarily matters. How we put things is sometimes more important than getting our own way. Because creating atmospheres of love and peace and joy 
all matter. Being more interested and concerned about the feelings of others who, might, who we might not like or want around us than we are about ourselves can sometimes be very important. I think this sensitivity towards others is what I see in the elderly people I know who are just a joy to be around, though sometimes on their deathbed. Jesus was a prime example of this. As he was in excruciating pain on the cross, he looked down at his best friend and his mother, both grievingly looking up to him, knowing he had hours to live. And amazingly, at such a time, he could say, Mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. He was more concerned for them and their feelings and their future than he was about himself. May I, may we all be slowly and with God's help, building up within ourselves the love of, interest in and care for others, which means that if and when I am elderly and dependent on others, close even to my deathbed, I'm not a pain to those around me, but a joy. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to what helps each other. Thank you very much, Nigel. That was very thoughtful of you, and uh, we hope that our listeners enjoy that. The article is uh, Comedian Stephen Fry Accepts Role at Trauma Charity. Comedian, writer, and actor Stephen Fry has become a patron of the charity which works with people made vulnerable by childhood trauma. The Mulberry Bush is a national charity based in Standlake offering specialist therapeutic services and education as well as outreach programs. Mr. Fry said, I'm proud to be involved with an organization whose work has such a positive and lasting impact on the lives of all these affected by childhood trauma. The expertise, dedication and kindness offered by the Mulberry Bush is making a real difference to the lives of children their families and support networks, both at Mulberry Bush School and more widely through the charity's outreach and research services. Mr. Fry took part in an interview with the charity's Sam Meredith Horn last year, where he explored the importance of reading and escapism and the benefits to children's mental health. In a warm and friendly conversation, the actor and author talked about his own childhood and the magical escapism that stories and reading can offer, as well as how it can help children grow confidence in the world and their understanding of it. It's very easy when you've been treated badly as a youngster to think the world is for other people. And reading is a wonderful way out of that, he said. I believe we're in this world for a really short time. So you've only got one shot at marveling at all of the beautiful and extraordinary things there are in nature and in human nature and in the stories we tell. In February, the Mulberry Bush School on Abingdon Road matched its previous Ofsted inspection rating of Outstanding. The school was rated outstanding in all areas. The report noted that both teachers and other staff work exceptionally well together to give pupils opportunities for success. 
It added the school's stability helps pupils to achieve exceptionally well from their starting point, which are well below those expected for their age. The school is an outstandingly safe environment within which pupils learn and thrive, supported by the care, patience and encouragement of the staff. John Diamond, CEO of the Mulberry Bush, said, We are honoured to have Stephen involved in support of our charitable work to meet the needs of all those made vulnerable by childhood trauma. Now it's quiz time. First of all, the answers to last week's quiz, uh, which was on the theme of animals. Question one was, what creatures were frequently used to bleed patients in the 19th century? And the answer is... Leeches. Leeches. Question two. What does a butterfly use to taste? Feet. It's feet, that's right. (laughs) Question three. Which mammal has the longest gestation period? Elephant. Which one? The African elephant. 22 months. What is the world's largest mammal? The blue whale. And question five, what is the collective name for ducks? A paddling of ducks, which is rather rather quaint. And so to this week's questions, which is a real mixed bag, which actor was born Richard Jenkins? Question two, who wrote the novel Born Free? Question three, which Spanish city is served by Barajas Airport? Question four. In The Sound of Music, what is the first name of Captain Von Trapp? And question five. What is the most populated city in Alaska? And the answers to those questions will be given to you in two weeks' time. And so to our notice board, and our first item on the notice board is to tell you that there is no edition next week of the Whitney Talking News as it's Maundy Thursday, but we will be back in two weeks' time. We have two birthdays that are going to be celebrated this week. On the 9th, we have Margaret Burns from Whitney, and on the 10th, Grace Brown from Ensham. Sad to say, we have four deaths uh, in the uh, Whitney Gazette. Franklin Berry, who died on the 30th of March, aged 84 years, from Whitney. Joan McCartney of Coombe, who died on the 29th of March, aged 98. Victor Marston, who died on the 31st of March, aged 85, and the stories we were covering last week about Devon George Wright, who died on the 18th of March at the age of 22. And our condolences go to all family and friends of those deceased persons. Can I also remind you that the organisation called the Torch Fellowship, which provides advice, support Opportunities for fellowship and library services free of charge to registered blind and partially sighted people. They normally meet at the um, Welcome Church on High Street on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm. New members are very welcome and the contact number is 01993 891 639. And at the end of this uh, recording, please stay listening as we have the TNF soundings, radio listings and audio described TV. 
Our next item is a short item which is going to be read by John. Friend of Royals facing ban for speed offence. A friend of the royal family faces disqualification after being caught speeding. Hugh Ralph Van Kutsum, 47, of Bruin House in Milton under Witchwood, near Chipping Norton, was caught on a speed camera driving an Audi RS6 at 89 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone on January the 9th. Norfolk Magistrates Court heard he pleaded guilty last week to exceeding the legal limit on the A1065, a single carriageway road at Ickbur in Norfolk. Magistrates adjourned the matter until April the 14th for a disqualification notice under a single justice procedure. The Van Kutzen family has been close to the royal family for generations. Prince William was an usher at the wedding of Hugh Van Kutzen and Rose Astor at St John's the Baptist Church in Burford in 2005. And now there are two more short items of news. And the first one is that a driver was arrested for being on drugs in a cloned vehicle. A driver was arrested for being behind the wheel of a cloned vehicle whilst on cocaine. Sharing details of the incident on its TPF Roads Policing Twitter account, Thames Valley Police said it was uh, informed that a clone vehicle was travelling through the county. The police found and stopped the vehicle and the driver uh, was disqualified and also given a positive test for cocaine on a drugs wipe. The driver remained in custody. Under the law, it's illegal to drive if you are unfit to do so because you are on legal or illegal drugs or have a certain levels of illegal drugs in your blood, even if they've not affected your driving. And the second item is another travel item, and the headline reads that the truck was too long and too heavy. A man from Oxfordshire has been fined for driving a vehicle in a dangerous condition. Roger Howes, aged 58, of Insel Road in Chipping Norton, appeared at Bath Magistrates Court. Last May the 18th, he drove a Scania R500 3... Last May, he drove a Scania R500 3A'd tailed flatbed heavy goods vehicle on the M5, southbound at Wellington. It was overweight and of an excessive length. The court document stated that the precious position of the and the precarious position of the load and lack of necessary securing straps involved a danger. House was fined £307, made to pay a victim surcharge of £190 and costs of £110, and he got three points on his licence. And the next article's headline is Artists' Epic Installations Bringing in Funds for Charity. Artist Dan Barton is the man behind a new art installation to support Ukraine, which has officially launched in Oxford. The installation, which stands 12 feet in height, depicts a soldier leading a mother and her two children to safety, carrying their worldly possessions along with them. One child is holding a toy rabbit.
At the opening ceremony, around 20 people held up Ukrainian flags in front of the installation before simultaneously lifting them up to reveal the artwork. The work has been created by the Monumental Solidarity Project, the latest initiative from Standing with Giants, a not-for-profit organisation set up by Mr Barton, which uses his epic installations in public spaces to raise money for various charities. Visitors can walk freely among the installations, which are designed to not only look and feel impressively large, but as a safe space where people can come and reflect, to grieve, to discuss with children, to connect, to reset and to look forward, he said. Mr Barton, whose workshop is in Stanton Harcourt, said, We have had messages from people in Ukraine thanking us for not forgetting them. In 2020, the community project simultaneously displayed 103 soldiers and 77 poppy wreaths at Blenheim Palace and 8,000 miles away in the Falkland Islands. The Remembrance Tribute at Blenheim Palace helped raise more than £38,000 for the Royal British Legion. In August 2021, Mr Barton created an installation located in Oxford South Park to celebrate the work frontline NHS staff were doing throughout the pandemic, which raised money for the NHS charities. Right now, he is creating 2,000 soldiers for the 80th anniversary of D-Day. He said, I never thought I'd be waking up again to such terrible news that Russia had invaded Ukraine. I thought, what can we do to help them? The figures are all all individually created by Mr Barton, whose day job is restoring historic buildings and a team of volunteers using repurposed materials. Each is cut out by hand, sanded and painted, before being attached to welded metal frames, which are then staked into the ground. He said, I am the driving force, but I have 14 regular people, and I always manage to collect other people to help with the installation, wherever it is being hosted. Volunteers have included air cadets, schools, scouts, cubs, and prisoners from Bullingdon. And Mr Barton is keen to hear from any other groups that would like to get involved. Now we have a piece headed, Pupils Plant Pollinators in New Wildflower Meadows. Pupils from St John the Evangelist uh, C of E's Primary School have planted pollinators to create new wildflower meadows in Carterton. The 36 pupils chosen by their classmates for being a kind person and a role model took part in the wildflower planting in Trefoil Way, Shilton Park. The wildflower seed mix of oxide daisies, red campion, cowslip and yellow rattle will provide new areas for bees and beetles to forage for nectar and pollen. West Oxford District Council's Biodiversity and Countryside Land Management Officer, Rachel Crooks, helped students spread seeds across rotivated areas and stomp them in. Older people, older pupils helped to put up a sign. Deputy Head Teacher Murray Wargent said, Although the results will not be immediate, uh, but will take several years to become really established, over time the children will have the chance to see the wildflowers flourish and know they have had a positive impact on their local environment. 
More than a hectare of wildflower areas is being created across the district council-owned estates in Whitney, Carterton and Chipping Norton. This is the last item that we'll be reading this evening, and it's really charming. And I'm going to say that it reminded me of a childhood song by Tommy Steele, which anyone of this age might pick up on, The Little White Bull. Anyway, this is A Little White Rhino, and it gets a jubilee name. A newborn white rhino named Queenie to mark the monarch's platinum jubilee year, has left her enclosure at Oxfordshire's Cotswold Wildlife Park for the very first time. The park near Burford has shared videos of Queenie bounding around in a paddock after being released from the safety of the rhino house. Photographs and footage also show the calf, named to honour the 70th year of the Queen's service on the throne, examining a rock and running round her mother's feet. Visitors can see the baby rhino in the park's rhino paddock and solar-powered rhino house. The Queen's grandson, the Duke of Cambridge, is also the patron of the conservation charity Tusk Trust, which works with Cotswold Wildlife Park to protect threatened African species. Managing Director Reggie Hayworth said Queenie is the fifth female baby rhino to be born in a row and the latest in a series of animals to be named after members of the royal family. Mr Hayworth said all the rhinos here are named after very special people and I think everyone agrees that 2022 will always be special because of Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee. I thought it might be a bit presumptuous to call our new baby Elizabeth, so I have christened her Queenie instead. I think it is a perfect name for a young lady rhino. A Bactrian camel at the park, a species which is thought to be one of the rarest large mammals on earth, was also named Louis, after the Queen's great-grandson, because he was born on the same day. Louis the camel is due to become a father soon, and his calves will be the first to be born in the park since 2018. White rhinos were also on the verge of extinction in the early 1900s, with only around 20 to 50 remaining in their African homeland. But following years of protection, they are now the most common of the five rhino species, the park said. Queenie is the newest addition to the park's white rhino family, which is the largest species of rhino and native to Southern Africa. And she is believed to be the first white rhino born in a UK zoo this year. Births of the species in captivity are rare, with only five white rhinos born in the UK over the past year. Well, that's all we have time for. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. And remember that these do not need to go through the post office as it's free post. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and then we will telephone you. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen, including 
uh, uh, news editions and magazines, and these include Sonata Plus, Internet, Podcast and Alexa. Full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk and just list, follow the link to listen live. So it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight and also to our technical expert, Gavin Smalley. Our copiers will be Gavin and myself and we'll be copying the memory sticks and, and we'd like to thank our volunteers who've been checking the pouches and memory sticks you've returned and keeping records of this in our register. And these have been Marnie Leach and Anne Crawford. And finally, our four readers, Peter B., Barbara Johnson, Theresa Hayes and John Ashwell. And I know that everyone would like to say goodbye. And so, until our next edition, goodbye. Goodbye. Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, April 9th. At 2.45 on Radio 4, the drama is Bark, the Great Passion. Bark is working on his St Matthew Passion, but in the final weeks of rehearsal, he struggles to complete the work while also running a boarding school of 55 pupils and supporting an almost continuously pregnant wife. As Classic FM prepares to unveil its new Hall of Fame, there's a last chance to celebrate music from the current chart in Moira Stewart's Classic FM Hall of Fame concert at 4 o'clock. In Great Lives on Radio 4 Extra at 5.30, Simon Callow is invited to celebrate Hollywood giant Orson Welles. And back to Radio 4 at 8 o'clock when War on Truth presents stories from the information war over Ukraine and speaks to people caught up in the battle for truth. On to Sunday, April 10th, Radio 3 marks Palm Sunday with two programmes from the European Union's annual Holy Week Music Day. First part at 1pm features a performance of Bach's St John Passion, live from Amsterdam. And the second part at 7.30pm, still on Radio 3, features Easter music specially recorded by ensembles from across Europe. On Radio 4 at 2 o'clock, Gardner's Question Time celebrates the 75th anniversary of the programme, with some familiar voices from the archives. There's drama on Radio 4 Extra at 4, and a repeat at 8, as the late Helen McCrory plays a young Jane Austen in Minuet. The novelist falls in love with a romantic young Irishman, fueling her desire to become a writer. Back to Radio 4 at 5pm on the 40th anniversary of the Falklands conflict. The Falklands Now reports on the South Atlantic Islands' economic and social transformation. While back to Radio 3 at 5.30 for words and music Genesis including readings from the classic King James Version of the Bible, Anton Lesser exploring the untold stories of the women in Genesis, and the music by Bach, Dowland, Rossini, Mozart, Cole Porter and Andrew Lloyd Webber, among others. On to the programmes then that are serialised every day of the week at the same time on the same radio station. So broadcast at the same time, every day, same radio station 
Monday to Friday. At 9.45am on Radio 4, repeated at half past midnight each day, the book of the week is The Man Who Invented Motion Pictures, a biography of Louis Le Prince, the man who shot the first ever motion picture and subsequently disappeared without trace. Radio 3 at 12 noon, composer of the week is Joseph Haydn, 1732-1809. to Radio 4 at 1.45, all week, Monday to Friday, you can hear parts, the museums that made us. This week, looking at museums in Leicester, Bristol, Birmingham, Liverpool and Leeds. Radio 4 Extra 2 each day brings us Big Pig, Little Pig, Jacqueline Yallop's account of moving with her husband to southwest France when she embraces rural village life and buys two pigs to rear for slaughter. It's read by Imogen Stubbs. Radio 3 at 10.45 each night, the series The Essay, talking about silence, explores the many varieties of spiritual silence in human life and beyond. While on Radio 4 at 10.45pm for the Book of Bedtime, continues its reading of the 2021 Booker Prize winning novel, The Promise. Let's look at the rest of the highlights then for the week, starting with Monday, April 11th, Radio 4, 2.15. In the afternoon, the drama is Smoking Guns. David Morley's play about Dr Ben Santa, the scientist who proved that climate change was man-made and attacked by the fossil fuel industry. Radio 4 at 4, Lost Worlds, journeys to the lost world of Anglo-Saxon England, exploring the night in 1120, when heir to the throne, William Adelam, drowned in the English Channel. Radio 3 in concert at 7.20pm includes music by Prokofiev, Mozart and Shaskakovich. Back on Radio 4 at 8, Tax Me, I'm a Millionaire. Multi-millionaire Abigail Disney, granddaughter and great-niece of Roy and Walt Disney, discusses her campaign to reform the US tax system to target wealth, not just income, and how the idea is catching on in the UK. Tuesday, April 12th, 8.30am, Radio 4 Extra, but it's repeated at 12.30 and 7.30pm, if you'd prefer. Episode of One Foot in the Grave, followed by a celebration of this classic comedy hosted by Doreen Mantle, who plays Mrs Warboys. 11.30am, on BBC World Service, In the Studio brings us a performance of Glyndebourne's new production of Handel's Messiah. Back on Radio 4 at 3.30, in the series Costing the Earth, Trees and Storms visits two forest estates in the northeast of Scotland to consider the impact of recent storms. 8 o'clock, Classic FM Concert with John Suchet celebrates both the Queen's Jubilee and Classic's own 30-year anniversary with a concert recorded at the Royal Albert Hall the day before. The concert features regal classics, both ancient and modern, including Zadok the Priest, Crown Imperial, I Vow to Thee My Country and Jerusalem, among many others. While on Radio 4 at 8.40pm, Peter White presents In Touch, looking at the work of three visually impaired wellness practitioners who are making a living from Reiki, yoga and sound healing. Wednesday, April 13th, Radio 4 at 4, in the series Thinking Aloud, Strongmen asks what accounts for the global rise of authoritarian leaders and wonders what lessons might be learned to prevent such figures' disastrous rule in the future. At the same time, 4pm on Radio 3, 
Choral Evensong comes from the Chapel Royal of St Peter Ad Vincula, the Tower of London. Back to Radio 4 at 8. Food for Thought in the Exchange, which this week looks at honesty. Michael was raised in a family where honesty was the only policy, but as he got older he decided his incessant truth-telling was no longer worth it. Dina is the opposite. For most of her life she told white lies, until she went on a silent retreat that included a vow of honesty. Since then, she's never lied. And to Radio 3 at 10pm to round off the day, Free Thinking features a discussion about Britain's maritime history and the place of ships in Britain's sense of itself. Thursday, April 14th starts at 9am on Radio 4, with the edition this week, In Our Time, looking at Homo erecticus. The most successful human to date was 2 million years on Earth, as against Homo sapiens, 300,000 thus far. At 11am on Radio 4 Extra, and repeated at 9pm in the evening, cast away in Desert Island Discs Revisited, is the late cartoonist, actor and writer Willie Rushton. 11am on Radio 4, in the morning, Russia's unwelcome new exiles considers the hundreds of thousands of Russians who fled abroad in recent weeks, afraid of growing repression in their country and increasing international isolation in the wake of its invasion of Ukraine. Tim Waywell travels to the Georgian capital, Tbilisi, to meet some of the new exiles, some of whom are accused of arrogance, of raising property prices and possibly providing a pretext for the Kremlin to intervene again in Georgia. Radio 4 at 3 o'clock, open country, goes mammoth hunting on the north coast, where the West Runton mammoth, the most complete mammoth skeleton ever found, was discovered after a storm in 1990. BBC Inside Science is at 4.30pm on Radio 4, and repeated at 9 in the evening if you'd prefer, while at 10pm on Radio 3, free-thinking Matthew Sweet reads Hannah Gavron's 1966 book The Captive Wife and looks at women's work. So to round off the week, Friday, April 15th, it is Good Friday, of course. Throughout this Easter weekend, Classic FM presents its Hall of Fame, the new chart revealing the 300 pieces of music the nation has chosen as its favourites, with the number one revealed just before 9 o'clock on Easter Monday in the evening. Coverage starts on Friday with Alan Jones at 9am. Sounds Natural at 6.30pm on Radio 4 Extra is a 1972 programme in which the late actor Peter Cushing talked about the British countryside and especially its bird life. Radio 2 at 7pm is At the Foot of the Cross. Katie Piper presents music and poetry for Good Friday. The programme also features personal stories from people who live with grief and how their faith has enabled them to find hope in the future. Radio 3 marks Good Friday with a live concert at 7.30pm from King's College, Cambridge, featuring works by Haydn and Mozart. Crowd Science on the BBC World Service at 8.30pm learns how to work out how clever someone is, considering the IQ measurement and why such weight is placed on academic performance. And if you've finally missed any editions of the museums that made us, there is an omnibus edition on Good Friday at 9pm on Radio 4. That rounds off the week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. And may I also wish you a very happy Easter. Here is John's selection of audio described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday 9th of April. There's a new series on ITV at 11.40am, Ainsley's Good Mood Food. Ainsley Harriet celebrates food that gives people a boost 
beginning with recipes that are made even more special with coffee or chocolate. On BBC One, there's Bargain Hunt at 1.15pm today from Newbury. Today being the first weekend in April, it's Grand National Day. The programme starts on ITV at 2pm, but the race doesn't start until 5.15pm. Unfortunately, it isn't already described, but you might get the flavour of the race from the commentary. On Channel 4 at 4.30pm is Devon and Cornwall. A steam engine enthusiast embarks on a journey across Devon in an 80-year-old steamroller. In Chateau DIY on Channel 4 at 5pm, Tim and Rebecca's Jeep conversion has moved to the next stage. In Casualty at 8.35pm in I Will Trust You, Paula makes an impassioned plea for custody of Edna at her court hearing, and Marty finally discovers Addie's secret. This is followed on BBC One with Killing Eve at 9.15. Caroline is forced to face a ghost from her past in her quest to find who is responsible for her son's murder. The film on Channel 4 at 9 is The Favourite, a historical black comedy. In 1711, a sickly Queen Anne, played by Olivia Coleman, has privately ceded most of her political decision-making to her lover, Lady Sarah Churchill. Lady Sarah's cousin arrives at court and is quickly promoted to the Lady of the Bedchamber. So begins the Battle of Wills as the two cousins vie for the Queen's affections. On to Sunday the 10th. There's a repeat of Pilgrimage, The Road to the Scottish Isles, on BBC One at 10am, repeated from last Friday on BBC Two. Seven celebrities set out from Donegal on foot to learn about St Columba. On ITV at 11.55, the Love Your Garden team are creating a Caribbean-inspired Technicolor paradise. Bargain Hunt on BBC One at 12.15 is from Dorking. Saving Lives at Sea on BBC Two at 6.15, the Western Supermare crew navigate the treacherous waters of the Bristol Channel as they race to save three people. All-Star Musicals on ITV at 7.30. Seven famous faces not known for their musical abilities compete to show who is best at belting out a showbiz standard at the London Palladium. It's hosted by Sir Michael Crawford. The final part of Dynasties 2 is on BBC One at 8pm today. Looking at the hyena. As a rival emerges, the hyena queen struggles to maintain her grip on power whilst trying to raise a family. The Ipcrest file concludes on ITV at 9. Jean pursues her research into Maddox's history of failed actions against Castro and Harry is lured into a country house where Harold Macmillan is due to meet John F. Kennedy. Also at 9, but on BBC One, is the start of the second series of Gentleman Jack. In 1834, a month after their private marriage ceremony, Anne Lister's revelation that Miss Walker is moving into Shibden's Hall shocks her wives' relatives. Now to programmes that are on each weekday. Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15 on BBC One. Bargain Hunt at 12.15 on BBC One. Doctors on BBC One at 1.45, but not on Friday. And this programme is repeated at 7pm each day on BBC Two. Father Brown at 2.15 on BBC One, but not on Friday when it's on at 2.30. Escape to the Country on BBC One at 3, but again on Friday it's at 3.15. Heartbeat on ITV3 at 5.50. There's two episodes every weeknight at this time. And Law and Order UK is on ITV3 at 10. All the soaps are in their usual places in the schedule and all are order described. 
Now on to the programmes for Monday the 11th of April. Rick Stein's Cornwall on BBC Two at 7.30pm. Rick is in Turo, where he discovers a ghost story and tours the magnificent cathedral. Eight Days to the Moon and Back at 7.30 on BBC Four. This drama documentary brings to life the story of the trip to the moon, as it happened. Why are energy bills so high? At 8pm on Channel 4, this dispatches programme examines the reasons behind the spike in energy prices, including the failures among the energy companies, and asks if the organisation set up to protect consumers has been up to the job. The split at 9 on BBC One. Hannah's relationship with Nathan begins to unravel when he drops a bombshell. The House of Maxwell at 9 on BBC Two. After the news that Robert's body has been found in the sea, a young journalist gets a scoop of her career when she reveals Robert as a fraudster and the Maxwell empire collapses. This is repeated at 11pm on Friday. Worlds Collide, the Manchester bomb at 9pm on ITV. This documentary hears from those who were at the Ariana Grande concert, including those whose job it was to protect the concert goers. This is repeated on Wednesday at 10.45, and part two is on Thursday at 9. On to Tuesday the 12th. The Yorkshire Dales is on BBC Four at 7.30. Paul Rose explores Wednesdaydale, reaching the formidable heights of the Buttertubbers Pass. Parts two and three are on at this time on Wednesday and Thursday. Master Chef is on BBC One at 8pm. The contestants start in a tasting room where they are judged on the food that's put in front of them from which they must select three favourite dishes. Diallo and Pasco are on the Drama Channel at 8. A clubber is found dead from a suspected drug overdose but the autopsy reveals a disturbing truth. Freeze with Fear at 9 on BBC One. In this new series, eight famous faces undertake a series of sub-zero challenges that tests their physical and mental limits. This programme is repeated on Thursday at 10.35pm on BBC One. Derry Girls returns to Channel 4 at 9.15pm. In this new and final series, passions run high but confidence is low on GCSE Results Day. The Witchfinder concludes on BBC Two at 10. Thomasine and Bannister arrive in Chelmsford, but no longer as travelling companions. Thomasine is jailed and Bannister gets the opportunity he's been dreaming of to put her on trial. Wednesday the 13th, Mary Berry's Fantastic Feasts on BBC One at 8pm. Mary helps kitchen novices who want to host a spectacular tea to thank their friend Soroya. Also at 8, but on BBC Two, The Secrets of the Museum reveals how V&A curator Catherine looks forward to celebrating some of the lesser-known works by John Constable. Interior Design Masters on BBC One at nine. Alan Carr presents the semi-finals where contestants have to redesign two cafes in the seaside town of Margate. The venues need to attract both a daytime crowd as well as evening punters. Katie and Koji on ITV at 9pm with the final part following at 9.30. First, Katie's highly suspicious when a lifelong enemy wants to make peace. And then in the final part, Kate decides to stand for election as police and crime commissioner, and Cody gets an unwelcome visit from a local criminal. Part three of Putin, Russia and the West is on BBC Four at nine, exploring the 2008 war between Russia and America's ally, Georgia. 
Condoleezza Rice is among those revealing how close America came to offering military support, which would have in effect meant war with Russia. Thursday the 14th. Luxury homes and gardens for less on Channel 4 or 8. Lockdown led to a DIY boom, but as prices soar, how can you give your home and garden the opulent look? Sophie Morgan and Michelle Ackerley speak to industry insiders who reveal how to get plants for a fraction of the price and how to buy high-quality paints for less. MasterChef continues on BBC One at 8. Seven of the best cooks from the first rounds are challenged to invent a dish on the spot from ingredients which include chicken thighs, a rack of venison and a whole John Dore. Also eight on BBC Two is another Secrets of the Museum. The V&A is planning its biggest ever menswear exhibition, including a shiny pink lame suit made in 2017. Also a bionic hand destined for the Museum of Childhood. Gordon Ramsay continues his search for the future food stars at 9pm on BBC One. Gordon warns the teams to expect the unexpected as they head to the Lake District and are confronted by a terrifying challenge, a thousand foot above ground. The second and final part of Worlds Collide, the Manchester bombing, on ITV at 9pm. Tonight we relive the final minutes before the destination of the bomb and its aftermath as seen through the eyes of its victims. And finally, to Friday the 15th, which is Good Friday. Dinosaurs The Final Day with David Attenborough is on BBC One at 6.30pm. A prehistoric graveyard in North Dakota reveals a series of remarkably well-preserved fossils which could change our understanding of the last days of the dinosaurs. Hotel Chocolat at Easter on Channel 4 at 7.30. A look behind the scenes of Britain's biggest independent chocolate maker as the factory gears up for their busiest time of year. Master Chef at 8 on BBC One. In this, the fourth quarter-final, the chefs must produce two courses for former champions Thomas Frake, Dhruv Baker, Saliha Mahmood Ahmed. Grayson's Art Club on Channel 4 at 8. Grayson Perry and his wife Philippa are joined by actor Katie Wicks for an exhibition on the theme of holidays. Grantchester on ITV at 9. In this, the last episode of this current series... Another homeless man is found murdered in the same manner as previous victims, and Julian will realise that the wrong man may have been sent to prison. Also at nine, the second part of Pilgrimage, the road to the Scottish Isles. After a walk from Port Stewart, the pilgrims set sail for Western Scotland and the Kintyre Way. The late film on BBC One at 10.35 is The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. In this comedy drama, a group of impoverished British pensioners decide to try and make their pennies go farther by spending their retirement in what they believe to be a luxury hotel in Japan. But the establishment turns out to be something quite different. The film stars Judi Dench, Bill Nye and Maggie Smith. I hope you find something of interest in my selection this week. TNF Soundings 